There we go. So, uh, hello, good evening, and welcome to the UK Democracy Network's first AI and Democracy webinar of 2024. Thanks so much for joining us. This session is being recorded and will be made available to all Democracy Network members. So if you're watching this recording after the event has taken place, then a very warm welcome to you too. We'll be fielding questions as part of this webinar, but if you're watching this back at a later date and have any further questions, then please do feel free to get in touch and we'll do our best to answer them for you. My name is James Moulding and I am the UK Democracy Network Network Development Lead. And for those that aren't familiar, the, Net the UK Democracy Network works to strengthen the relationships and connections between organisations, projects and individuals working to build a healthier democracy in the UK, providing you with the resources, information and collaboration opportunities to take your work to the next level. So. Whether you're working to register voters ahead of the general election or you're a local independent journalist working to highlight bad practices at your local council, we're here to help. We're a UK-wide network spanning Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland and England, and membership is free and open to all working on or around issues of democracy, power and voice in the UK. As I say, I believe this is our first AON Democracy webinar of the of the new year of 2024 and we'll be running these regular webinars providing you the organizations projects campaigners and practitioners of the democracy sector with the tools concepts and learning from experts within and outside of the democracy movement so if you're interested in looking back through our archive of excellent speakers and topics around AI and democracy you can check out our youtube which i'll post in the chat in a minute in today's session we'll be taking a deep dive into the world of ai and elections exploring the impacts or not of large language models and other AI tools on the integrity and outcomes of democratic elections this mega year of elections across the globe. Guiding us through these important issues tonight is Sam Jeffers, co-founder of Who Targets Me. Who Targets Me are an incredible campaign, birthed in the heady days of the UK 2017 election. During that election, they launched and experimented with their first browser extension to monitor and catalogue political ads in real time on people's browser windows, taking note of the various ways in which political parties at that time were competing for attention on social media platforms. Seven years later, and 10 elections later, Who Targets Me are now active around the world with more than 50,000 people participating in over 100 countries, working together to crowdsource online political advertising and protect the integrity of elections. We're also joined tonight by the excellent Isabella Roberts, my co-host for the night. Isabella is the founder of Antiparty, a pro-democracy movement looking, looking to transcend the two-party system by applying collective intelligence for systems change. So in this session, Sam will unpack their work and learnings for approximately 40 to 45 minutes, take it into a deep dive exploring the impact of AI in elections and political advertising. After Sam's talk, we'll take a little bit of time for questions before finishing off probably around about 8 p.m. So if you've got any urgent clarifying questions throughout the session, do feel free to raise your hand or use the Zoom raise hand reaction in the bottom panel. If you'd like to hear more about future upcoming workshops and webinars, or to get involved in the Aaron Democracy group or WhatsApp group, or to get involved in the wider Democracy Network itself, you can let us know directly or sign up in the um, sign up in the check-in document that I've just posted in the chat. So without any further ado, I'd like to hand over now to Sam. Thank you, Sam. Okay. And let me just <clears throat> yeah. spotlight you. Thanks, James. Um, uh, very kind intro. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, uh, I, I'm going to try and do this without any slides. Normally people like to put slides up. And so the the, the, the upside of that is I'm going to just try and talk about this subject following some notes. The downside is um, I'm not going to talk for 45 minutes. Uh, that would be uh, a lot. And I'm not here to deliver a university lecture. These are some some thoughts I have on, on this topic. Um, yeah, I mean, as James says, I mean, we started 
who targets me in 2017, before that, I'd worked on the flip side of that. So I'd worked on sort of digital political campaigns for a an agency called Blue State Digital. And I was much more of a kind of practitioner and trying to think about how to win elections on the internet and the, the sorts of ways that you could um, mobilize, fundraise, persuade people uh, using the tools we had back then. So this is really before particularly the sort of social media advertising age got really going in, in 2014, 15. Um, uh, the last campaign I was really actively involved in was the uh, Scottish referendum campaign of 2014 uh, and then and then the Labour campaign of 2015. And I think, you know, there were a lot of lessons about the, the impact and role of social media that came out of both of those elections, let alone uh, what then happened in 2016 with Brexit and, and uh, Trump. So, um, yeah, for, for, the, for the seven years <clears throat> after, well, since, since 2017, we have been studying political ads uh, and how they get used around the world. And I think, you know, the reason we do that is because we're very interested in what actually does happen on the, online and how campaigns think about winning elections. And, you know, we're interested in things that happen at scale, often with large amounts of money behind them. Uh, things that have intention behind them, where they're, you know, you know, the idea is, well, there's this audience we want to reach with this particular message and we have this much resource that we're prepared to invest to make that happen. And so political ads for us are a really great way of trying to almost read campaigns uh, from the inside out. Um, and, and so that's what we try and do with the project. So as James said, we've, we've built a browser extension where people can donate data. We've also built data sets which will track spending at scale, that will track the ways that the ads are being targeted and the, the types of messaging that's being used. And we'll talk about that a lot. I mean, the, you know, we, we, we have pretty active social media channels, particularly on Twitter, uh, but we also do quite a lot of media and that sort of stuff. And certainly this year, we're expecting to show up uh, in quite a lot of media around the election and um, you know, have been doing bits of filming and talking to newspapers about and so on about how we're going to cover this topic, because we think it's going to be a pretty big topic this year, political ads. And again, I'll, I'll come on to AI in a second, but political ads are definitely something which the parties are going to invest a lot of money in, which candidates are going to invest a lot of money in and will be the largest single spending item for, for the political parties uh, in this campaign. So again, while topics kind of move on to AI or is this going to be a TikTok election or these sorts of questions, um, they will still also be routinely a Facebook ads, Instagram ads and YouTube ads election as well. And we shouldn't lose sight of that because that is stuff that is happening and that we can track. So. Moving on to the actual topic at hand uh, after the long winded intro, um, AI. So as, again, as James said, lots of elections this year, um, you know, two, two billion plus people voting. Um, and, you know, we're not going to see this kind of lineup of elections again, I think, for another uh, 25 years, I think, until the cycles line up again. So it's, it's a it's a it's a very big year for elections. And I think, you know, what we're seeing is you know, me there just having talked about the kind of current impact of technology and the ways that campaigns use technology, we're sort of talking, you know, quite speculatively about a new technology and its potential impact, um, uh, you know, on elections, you know, Silicon Valley, the political system, you know, there's quite a lot of ongoing existential tech driven panic about the rise of AI and its effects on our democratic and political and social systems. Um, you know, Sam Altman, who runs OpenAI, says, you know, he thinks that AI will be capable of human, superhuman persuasion well before it is superhuman at general intelligence, which may lead to some very straight outcomes. 
you know, so it's quite a hype filled statement there, you know, that it will be able to persuade us of all sorts of things uh, quite soon. So this is, you know, this kind of idea that AI hype is around every corner and in all of these conversations. And obviously things like ChatGPT have raised a lot of concerns about the future of work. You know, they kind of hold the mirror up to our own usefulness. A lot of the things we do all day, um, you know, they do kind of let us see what a world might look like if humanity was not at the top of the kind of intelligence pyramid uh, anymore. But, you know, there's also a lot about how quickly this will be ushered in, how it will solve these problems. It will create a world of abundance. It will fix healthcare, fix climate change, deliver clean energy, solve agriculture, food, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so there's a lot of this, this sort of hype. There's also this kind of negative direction, right? Where, you know, AI overtakes us. You know, particularly, this is kind of quite existential conversation. It overtakes us, decides it no longer needs us. Um, and so, you know, there's all these people working on, um, you know, align what they call alignment, you know, with with human values and needs and, and this kind of existential threat. Um, you know, we, we've been through a lot of with with AI already, right? It already has a long history you know, and it's gone through several periods where people have great optimism for what's possible before it disappears again. Um, you know, we're really in an AI summer at the moment. Lots of excitement, lots of investment, a lot of people trying to make money from it as quickly as possible, you know, to try and fit with this sort of venture capital investment cycle. There's been many periods over the last 60 years or so where those advances disappear. And, you know, the thing that we thought we we knew turned out not to be as uh, as helpful and profitable as we expected. And, and another AI winter arrives and so on. And it's, you know, it's not inconceivable that in some senses uh, that might be happening again already. So, you know, for all the talk of ChatGPT being the fastest consumer product to having 100 million users in history, it's a very expensive product. You know, it costs millions and millions of dollars every day to run. It doesn't really make any money at this point. No one has really worked out, you know, deep use cases for it. There's a little bit of early evidence that the sort of user base has plateaued already and that people are sort of no longer logging in as much as they were and not using it as much in their day-to-day -day stuff. So, you know, there is this possibility that that, that winter has actually already begun, if not, if not a, a, a sort of flattening out. I think, you know, the reality is, you know, there's one there's one picture that's very rosy for the future of AI and there's one picture that's quite negative for the future of AI and the likeliest path, as with all things, is probably somewhere down the middle of those two things. So we don't know a lot so far, but I think if we try and think about what we do know and try and put these kind of advances or new things in some sort of context, you know, I think we can have a look at how we can think about certainly countering the potential threats of AI to democracy and, and, you know, investing in the health of democracies in the short term. And, you know, we can do that regardless, right? Whether AI turns out to be a huge thing or whether AI doesn't turn out to be a huge thing, just good investment in democracy, transparency, all of these sorts of things are just, are just helpful things to do in general. So, um, you know, we should, we should do these things anyway. And I think part of that is because the democratic era we're in isn't great. You know, populism has led a bit of a charge against democratic institutions. I don't think Britain has been the worst place that that has happened, but, um, you know, it has happened, uh, you know, people are obviously challenging the legitimacy of the press, the idea of facts, you know, how voting systems work. There's a real loss of collective faith in politicians to a do the things that they say they'll do, but also just to stay within norm, you know, the norms and boundaries of kind of political behavior that are definitely causing causing some issues. And so, you know, not just in the UK, but lots and lots of places, you see this idea of, kind of democratic backsliding taking place. Um, you know, are you watching your thing? <laughs> Hello. Um, so, uh, 
who targets me has been working on you know transparency about the role of tech and uh, in elections and campaigns for the last seven years um and working on on those campaigns as i said before uh, before that um you know we've worked through at least two hype cycles just in that period alone right so first period which is the one i was where i was sort of doing campaigning work was was that optimistic side right where social media seemed like it might connect the world together might you know it could elect the first black president in the united states it could topple regimes in the middle east it could do these incredible powerful things and then post 2016 the kind of backlash effect so you know that where all that good turned into uncertainty and doubt about the role of the internet in healthy societies and and that really continues to this day both at the sort of level of you know sort of personal mental health and your engagement with social media but also the wider sort of social health uh, as a result of of how much time we all spend online and how much we we kind of yeah spend spent how much time spending scrolling and so you know what we what we i think have seen or what i've certainly seen over the now 15 16 years i've been working in this particular space is you know we just learned a lot about how campaigns work online and how the public and the media responds to what they're doing you know we watch how people adopt new technologies to persuade voters um you know we've gone through the cycles of the different technologies that have been part of that firstly the web then email then social media ads now where people are talking about you know vertical video and uh, um, uh, AI and these sorts of things. And so, you know, they keep adding more as they do this, the campaigns are adding more and more data into the mix. They're always trying to find a new edge over their opponents and find more and more sophisticated ways of, of reaching the voters they want. So I guess the question is like, you know, how does AI compound and accelerate this trend? Um, you know, is it worth, uh, you know, like, you know, so yeah, how does, how does AI compound and accelerate this trend? Should we worry about that? And I think the, the thing I want to try and do here and have for the rest of the talk is to kind of like point about the, the things that can get in the way of generative AI actually being a threat to democracy. Um, so, you know, the, the, the point I'm going to almost start with seven minutes in, 10 minutes in, is to say I don't think AI is actually going to cause very much harm to democracy in 2024. Not, not really. Um, you know, there will be things that will happen. There will be incidents. I think in the grand scheme of things in 2024, they will be ultimately fairly meaningless in the UK. Um, so yeah, I'm going to try and go through some of those reasons and and you know make the argument. So the first thing is I don't think campaigns are going to use generative AI very much, uh, certainly in a kind of harmful way. Um, you know, using synthetic images, video, text, it's going to open them up to big questions about their authenticity, right? So you know, you, people have done scientific experiments on whether or not they trust AI-generated content. Uh, they label it, they test it against content without a label, and people are massively distrustful of, of AI-generated uh, content. Uh, you know, huge, a huge problem there. So, you know, for me, I think sensible political campaigns won't want that distrust to rub off on them for the sake of, you know, whatever, it, whatever they think it is, a joke, saving some money on content creation, you know, a quick political hit. I don't, I don't think that's worth the, worth the effort for them. I think they will get uh, into a fair amount of trouble uh, in the media. I think they'll get into a fair amount of trouble from their opponents. I think, you know, it will cost them time and money as they have to explain why they're doing it. So I think, you know, some potentially shameless campaigns will go ahead. But I think the problem there is their shamelessness rather than the actual use of tools they, they choose to, to go ahead with. I think the second thing that people seem to worry about is this idea of like um, these perfect sort of technologically powered campaigns where, you know, the, you know, Cambridge Analytica style, they sit on top of a huge data store. They deliver these kind of individually crafted AI messages at exactly the right moment in a kind of multi-channel, you know, perfectly timed, perfect message, perfect moment type of way. You know, that's a very long way off if it ever happens at all, right? So, you know, way back in 2008, 2012, people talked about how 
the Obama campaign was a perfect uh, internet campaign with all these wonderful email messages and this supporter engagement and all the rest of it. But the reality is that, you know, this was a you know fairly basic email driven campaign in lots of ways, you know, quite a lot of segmentation. There was some quite very, you know, very good copywriting and all the rest of it. But in terms of kind of this perfect message, perfect moment, et cetera, et cetera, there would have been gaps all over the place. And if you if you look around, you know, no campaign has been able to su successfully replicate that model since there's just there's just too much going on. Um, you know, if you take the Biden campaign, right, so the Biden campaign running now is probably going to be the richest political campaign in history, you know, probably spending north of one and a half billion, maybe even $2 billion on the on the reelection campaign, you know, they can notionally do anything with that amount of money. But the idea that they'll be able to create even this kind of perfect, you know, data driven message money moment type thing, uh, I think is really unrealistic. It's, 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 it's highly unlikely. And I, and I just don't think any other campaign in other parts of the world will be able to come close to that, right, in, in terms of that sort of perfect marketing machine. Um, and so what you then look at, you know, if you're not think, you know, if I'm not expecting to see much in terms of sort of ongoing generative AI use from campaigns in terms of their, their content creation or their sort of messaging and targeting, then you start to look into the things that are a bit more kind of like, well, everything else looks a bit more isolated and, and minimally effective, right? So, you know, the kind of um, most famous examples so far in and around elections are things like the deepfake videos that ran in the Slovakian election, uh, a deepfake of President Zelensky in Ukraine saying that he was surrendering. Um, you've had some audio deepfakes of Keir Starmer sort of swearing at AIDS. Um, one today of the House of Commons Speaker swearing at AIDS. Um, uh, one of Sadiq Khan sort of, again, swearing about how, you know, he wanted the pro-Palestine march to go ahead on Remembrance Sunday last year, which, you know, allegedly inflamed tensions, although tensions were already quite inflamed and I'm not sure you know whether how much how much difference you would attribute to that deep fake happening um you know last year there was quite an interesting example where someone posted an AI generated video of a bomb blowing up the Pentagon uh and the American financial markets dipped for a few minutes and then um you know the images spread on Twitter you know etc etc someone looked out the window, saw that the Pentagon was not on fire and the markets returned to normal very quickly thereafter, you know, so you have these kind of things where, um, you know, these kind of instantaneous, oh my God, what do I know sort of things, but you know, they're pretty quickly debunked. They don't actually get that much traction. They tend not to end up being written up in the media. Um, you know, they're, 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 they're relatively small scale things in the grand context of, of elections and these sorts of things. And then if you look at some places where you think, well, AI, you know, generated disinformation could be a big issue, like, um, you know, the Israel-Palestine conflict. You know, th the reality is we've seen very little use of generative AI around that particular conflict, right? Um, you know, partisans on both sides much prefer to use real things that are actually happening. There's no real need to kind of exaggerate what's going on. Uh, there's no real need to create fake stuff. And if you do want to, you can take pictures from Syria or elsewhere in previous wars and so on and rebadge them as something else. And it's much, much cheaper and much, much more straightforward to do that than to have to create any kind of AI, any kind of AI deepfakes, propaganda, et cetera, to spread that message. So, you know, I, I think a lot of the examples that get used so far feel very isolated. And I don't think they feel very existential for a, for, for elections in that sense. Um, you know, and so that piecemeal thing, I think, is a real issue, right? So, you know, for this stuff to, to be a real problem, it has to kind of add up to something. Um, it kind of has to hitch itself to a wider narrative and get carried along without that idea of like a narrative and some virality 
you know, it won't work. So, you know, over the last few years in the US, in the right there, we've seen them create these kind of narratives, right? They haven't used AI to do it, but Pizzagate, QAnon, MAGA, you know, these are these kind of, you know, narratives of the right that allow them to create a particular world to live in and so on. Those stories went a long way, right? They dragged hundreds, maybe thousands of people into the Senate chamber to try and overthrow the American government on, on one occasion, right? This is a, a, a serious thing, but, um, you know, we should also remember that those things, they weren't real and, uh, you know, MAGA protesters ended up in jail. They ended up paying, you know, those, their supporters ended up paying lots of money in legal suits. Uh, they weren't real to see it, the system caught up with them and so on. And as it stands, I don't think generative AI, none of the tools are creative or autonomous enough to come up with one of these sorts of movements. You still need people to invent them and to carry them and to do all of the sort of skillful human things that people do. You know, they have knowledge across politics. They have knowledge across news. They know how to distribute stories. They know how to fit them into you know, narratives that might affect democratic outcomes and so on, they'll work over time with the clear sense of, you know, what stories they're trying to tell, the notes they're trying to hit, they'll be witty, they'll be funny, they'll be creative, they'll be challenging, they'll be all of those sorts of things. So there's no sort of sense that like AI as a kind of overarching topic has the, has the ability to do any of this stuff right now. And if you actually stop for a second and think like, how am I going to do this, right? Yeah, I'm a, I am a bad actor with an idea about how I want to cause havoc. It's actually really, really hard, right? You've got, you know, if you want to cause things that are damaging to politicians or politics in some sort of way, you have to sit there and you have to think about, well, what are the storylines I need to create? What are the ways in which generative AI might, AI might help me, right? You've got your classic topics, you've got money, you've got sex, you've got abuse of power, you know, corruption, you know, speaking off record, all of these sorts of things. But the reality about the political downfalls that come with most of these things is that they happen because they're real, right? There's enough scandal in politics that's real to have to, you know, without necessarily having to say, we should, we should create this from scratch and that this, you know, that by doing this sort of fake thing, we'll be able to somehow influence the stuff, you know, creating pictures of ballot stuffing or leaking a bunch of emails or um, these sorts of things. Um, you know, that is, I think, uh, you know, just, just unlikely to, to create much momentum in itself. So yeah, fakes can, I think, create this momentary, momentary reality, but the real reality is much, much more a real problem. So, um, yeah, I think, I think people are much less persuadable than, than you think. And I think, I think a lot of this comes down to like, if you read the media cover of this, and this is what I sort of trying to use this talk to sort of push back a bit against is like, I think a lot of the way that people kind of try and explain deep fakes in elections is if like the baddies, you know, that bit in superhero movies where baddies just turn on all the TVs to the same channel and just show themselves doing a bad thing. And everyone is stood outside the, the TV shop looking at the window and sort of, you know, jaw drops at this sort of the Joker kind of talking back at you. I feel like this is the sort of model that people seem to have about deep fakes. And it has absolutely nothing to do with the real way in which people are, you know, reached with messages and persuaded and all of these sorts of things. It's, um, it's just, it's just not really the way things happen. And I think one of the reasons again for that happening is that we just live in this world of massive media fragmentation, right? There, the mass media is much, much less powerful than it was. We don't all read the same newspaper in the morning. We don't all look at the same uh, news program in the evening. We don't listen to the same radio programs. You know, everything is fragmenting. The big social media platforms are fragmenting into smaller ones. Um, you know, the biggest, you know, radio personalities are actually now independent podcasters. Film and TV shows are spread across all these streaming channels. We don't watch much live TV uh, anyway anymore. Information is spreading across closed uh, messaging apps. 
And so this idea of like scaling a plausible narrative where AI has this kind of big, you know, kind of master of kind of catastrophic master effect just feels like, again, impossible, right? No one has this mastery of the modern media environment uh, where you can work across the fragmented ecosystem, get traction on all the platforms at once, right? Every platform has its own algorithm. Every app platform has its own moderation system, their own rules, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, we, we work a lot on targeted advertising. Um, you know, if you actually look at your ads most of the time, they, they hardly know you at all, right? And these are people who, again, doing things with a great amount of intention and resource and planning and all the rest of it. Um, you know, we're, we're just not seeing that in, in you know, in, in generative AI, right? People are making things, the odd thing has a little hit and then it evaporates again a day later. So, you know, if you think about how, if you're going to try and create generative AI, that you're going to create this sort of democratic weapon, it has to pass through the eye of so many needles, uh, you know, the systems, moderation systems of platforms, the journalists who look at stuff, the fact checkers who work on those platforms, you know, most of this content is going to get stuck somewhere in a kind of unrecommended backwater. Uh, you know, it's, you know, someone's going to phone up to try and verify it. It'll never answer the phone call. Um, uh, you know, uh, no one will be able to confront it. And so, you know, apart from maybe Twitter, which has lost all of its ability to moderate or do sensible things, most of the other platforms are going to try and prevent these sorts of things happening. Um, you know, they're not, they, they, you know, they may be less good at it than they were a few years ago, but they're not totally useful at all, useless at all. Um, you know, and they, again, you look at what they're actually trying to do, you know, I mean, again, you may not believe what platforms say they're up to, but you know, last weekend in Munich at the big security conference there, they all signed a, an accord to protect elections uh, uh, this year. Um, you know, those elections protections will be far from perfect, but, you know, they will, each of them, uh, do various things to break the chains of bad communication happening uh, as much as possible. And they have enormous incentives to do so, right? If the quality of your time on Twitter is, you know, you're spending your whole time flooded with obviously fake content, then the value of that network falls to zero. Same would happen if your WhatsApp groups were flooded with, you know, deep fakes and AI the whole time, you know, you, you would be pretty unhappy about it. And you might think I'm not going to spend any time there anymore. So they have enormous incentives to try and keep these places as real as possible. Um, and I do think they've all learned a little bit, at least from the election challenges over the last few years. I mean, that's why they're all running up front about what's going to happen on this, on the, you know, with these services in 2024, um, uh, you know, now trying to make as many commitments as possible and so on. I think they're setting the bar. I think, frankly, they're setting the bar quite high so that at the end of 2024 is much easier for them to say we were successful and self-regulation is a system that will work for us and it will buy them some time to, to kind of keep going. Um, so to finish up, I just want to talk about the last couple of challenges, and these ones are these ones are more kind of legal. So one of these obviously is data protection, right? So one of the concerns people have is that lots of voter data is going to get sort of scraped off the internet or, you know, thrown into AI models and used in all sorts of ways. Um, you know, uh, I read a report about an AI research group that had managed to kind of de-anonymize lots of Reddit users from their usernames and some of their posting histories and so on, and had kind of tried to create political profiles of all of those people. Now, obviously, like that data, all that data on the Internet is very tempting for people who want to do this in unethical ways. But it is in the UK and Europe, in many other places, just literally illegal. And if your campaign or whoever you are decides to do this and you get caught, you know, ripping off data from places, profiling voters with AI, I think it's going to be pretty scandalous. I think it's going to be pretty embarrassing. It's going to be pretty costly. The Information Commissioner is going to be quite interested in what you're up to. Um, you know, in Europe, the equivalent authorities are going to have a go at you as well. So I think I think there are some real data protection issues around you know, uses of AI for targeting. I think people have a lot of questions if that starts to happen uh, at all. Obviously, there's a there's a copyright challenge, right? Generative AIs are 
you know, I think they're half alive and half dead, frankly, with some of the copyright challenges they face. They have scraped all sorts of copyrighted materials from all over the place and, you know, tried to claim that the outputs of the things they they have created are somehow original or unique in the same way that, you know, maybe it is after we've read a book or something like this. I think they've, they've stolen trillions of words, billions of images, you know, and legal cases will abound for a long time to see whether or not that stuff is a legitimate business model. And I think the other legal risk is is one just literally of what we call what you'd call something like fraudulent impersonation, right? The moment you start creating Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer deepfakes, um, you know, you are poking the hornet's nest of people who are trying to stop that happening straight away, right? I, I, I would imagine we would be not very far from emergency legislation that says doing this is illegal um, and, you know, that people will be followed by police until they are found and so on. I, I listened to a podcast from the BBC's um, Mariana Spring over the weekend talking about she was investigating a, um, a Sadiq Khan deepfake um, uh, audio thing. She tracked it down to a TikTok account and she'd sort of uh, saw that the owner of that account had kind of basically professed relief when the police had said, oh, no, we're actually not going to investigate this any further. They kind of posted the sort of sweaty crying emoji to sort of say, oh, my God, I didn't even think that I was going to be someone who might get arrested for creating some, you know, some what I thought was sort of satirical or fun content or whatever on the internet. You know, the more widespread this becomes and the more these kind of examples pop up, the more likely it is, frankly, I think that the hammer will come down on on, on this sort of behavior and we'll, we'll probably put a stop to it fairly quickly. Um, so yeah, so those are the reasons I'm, I personally think that there are a lot of barriers in the way of generative AI causing serious harm this year. So I don't think mainstream campaigns are gonna get into using it very much. I think that sort of technical fear of like this kind of hyper-personalized, super-targeted campaigning, I think is still a way off uh, in this space. Uh, I don't think AI can run a narrative. I think it can create a moment, but it can't run a narrative. The media system is massively fragmented. So just getting those narratives to hop from place to place to place and take hold without them somehow you know, having the chains broken uh, bet between these things, you know, I think that's, I think it's pretty likely that fragmentation is going to cause them big problems. And then there's a bunch of legal risk that I think is going to kind of gradually unfold over time. So, you know, should we do anything about it? Yeah, of course, I think we should do some stuff about it. I think we should, you know, invest in transparency. We should get the AI platforms and so on to think about content provenance and watermarking and, you know, helping each other identify stuff. I think we should think really carefully about particular audiences who I think maybe are more vulnerable to this sort of stuff. I don't, you know, I don't, I think they're vulnerable because they're more likely to be targeted, not because they're particularly, um, you know, susceptible or anything like this. But I think, for example, you know, again, with the kind of Israel-Palestine stuff going on, I think British Muslims potentially risk, you know, uh, being targeted by more kind of generative AI and disinformation content than, than other groups. Uh, I think the, the British left often, particularly the sort of left of Corbyn, uh, Corbynite left rather, again, like have a particular narrative that they're looking to, to pursue around uh, Keir Starmer and what's happening with the Labour Party. I think the sort of reform curious right, you know, there's some susceptibility there to kind of immigration narratives and things like that. I also think individual politicians are probably quite susceptible as well. You know, I think targeting them, you know, on Twitter and so on and, and you know, either harassing or producing bits of content or potentially even sort of slightly sort of blackmaily type content and so on um, will, will be a problem at, at that sort of level. But again, I, I'm not prepared quite to say that I think these things are going to be necessarily existential. And I think that's, you know, it's very hard to argue anything's existential in a polling environment where the Labour Party is 26 points ahead in the polls. And it's, it's, it's not easy to imagine that much is going to affect the outcome uh, of the British election under, under current circumstances. So um, I'll probably just leave it there because I've said 
quite a lot and probably spoken a lot more than I expected to. But um, yeah, I saw there were some things popping up, but I decided to keep going and um, and I'll, I'll have a look back now and see if there are any questions that I can answer. Thanks so much, Sam. Thanks so much for sharing all your insights and, and views on this. I mean, paints a very optimistic future, a very hopeful future, and I would love to believe you. Um, I know that there's could be a challenge in the sense of, you know, are we going to put our head in the sand? Um, ignorance is bliss. But yes, there's definitely a lot of comments and um, questions in the chat. So I will start reeling these off. Um, we've got a few from Richard, for example. Um, would you say there are any technological, societal or political um, angles that or events that would have to happen for your sense of threat to be heightened in any way and sort of following from that you know your case around why fragmentation is a defense against generative AI um, you know is it not more complex than simply reducing the threat there I think I think what I'm trying to respond to is what you read as the sort of what you call this kind of primary media narrative about AI in elections right where people write a thousand words in an op-ed about how democracy is going to die in 2024 and i think this is hype and wrong um you know that's my that's my the thing i'm trying to respond to here i mean obviously you know there are there are individual pieces of this that will frighten us or make us feel like something is going on that we don't understand or can't ever get control of um i think there are you know obviously as i said they're, they're like groups of people in the UK and everywhere who are particularly going to be targeted by certain types of material and campaigns and so on. And, you know, it's vitally important that we try and work out how to rebut and protect and do all those sorts of other pieces of work, right? Because that, you know, their votes are as important as anyone else's. But the, um, you know, this idea that this is going to swing elections, like there's some sort of thing that can just swing elections, like there's a great big dial that someone's going to just turn and everything's going to spin around, you know, like, I think, I think, you know, there is a, there is a sort of conspiratorial thing that has sprung up about the role of technology in in democracy, which sometimes just overstates its impact, right? Like campaigns can make a difference, but they can't make that much of a difference. Like fundamentals are much, much more important. And like, you know, we're talking to you know about the UK here at the moment, and the fundamentals are very, very much in one particular direction. Um, and And, you know, I think if you were saying, it's a 50-50 election, this is the Brexit referendum, there's something going on here, you would be a lot more concerned about it. But Britain particularly has, just by virtue of the fact that it is going to kick its government out very hard later this year, has a bit of time to to think about this and actually stay quite calm about it, I think, in, in, in lots of ways. So, you know, I think the circumstances are in our favour. Like, I do not think that's necessarily the case in places that are very broken, like the United States, where the election is a, is a coin toss, and you know there is a baddie one of the candidates is a genuine historically bad person uh with zero ethics and all the rest of it right like that is something to worry about um it's it's just you know very difficult to say that's that's our problem um you know hopefully americans can sort that one out interesting interesting so yeah lots of lots of very strong statements there but i'm seeing a lot of nods in the room so um no, very, very interesting viewpoints. Thanks so much for raising that. And thanks so much, everyone, for your attention so far. Please keep putting your comments and questions in the chat. There's a real discussion driving up here. Um, there's also a link to a, a sort of forum 
that will um, allow sort of specific conversations for each of these talks and topics um, following on from this event. So, you know, after the event, we're not all just going to go away and because there's so much more to say here. Um, and on the optimism, you know, point, there's just a comment here from David just saying that, you know, we're talking about is AI in elections all hype? And actually there is a possibility where it can be used to help say candidates who are dyslexic and you know they're using ChatGPT to turn what she writes into coherent sentences, which is great for campaigning and writing press releases, et cetera. So that's one way it can be used as a, as a helpful tool. You know, I know we've spoken about deep fake. Um, yeah, so, so we're planning in the next couple of months to start using some, some of these large language models to just help read ads better, right? Like there are so many ads, um, it's hard to know what they're all saying at once. And, you know, the idea is that we can use this to sort of extract narratives and themes and you can say, okay, look, here are the campaigning themes of this party, or here's the sorts of messages that are getting used in marginal constituencies and so on. So, you know, I'm actually slightly optimistic that we will find some ways to use this to improve uh, accountability and understanding of what's going on as well. Yeah. Um, Ollie, raise your hand. Would you like to ask a question? Yeah, thanks. Thanks very much. Really great talk, Sam. Thank you. Um, we, we, I'm from Future Advocacy. We made some deep fakes of um, Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn in 2019. Um, which sort of broke the internet, and and we 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 did that to try and really draw attention to the potential risks. Um, and I think um, I'll put I'll put them in the chat. But I think like at that point, we we thought that this would become much more ubiquitous. And I think um, though they cost about fourteen thousand pounds to make, which is quite a lot. Of, you know, it's quite a lot of money. But there are plenty of people that have that amount of money who want to influence the political, you know, democracy in the UK. So quite surprised that um, more hasn't happened. And I think there's that classic thing that we tend to overestimate the impact of technology in the short term and underestimate in the long term and, and just get it wrong in the long term. So I think, because we base our estimations on what's technologically possible. Uh, and so you overestimate what's achievable in the short term because there's all sorts of other human stuff that stops that happening. But in the long term, I think things tend towards what's technologically possible. So I think, I, you know, I think there's still a chance that these things will be impactful, particularly because you only have to sway a tiny proportion of certain seats potentially to, to have that impact. But I, but I, more widely, I think in in our, certainly in our campaign work, our advocacy work, we use we're beginning to use generative AI models quite a bit in terms of developing advocacy strategies, developing written content, developing um, video content, or and and it's it's really like a power enhancer. I think has to be used pretty carefully, um, and there are lots of risks and and ethical issues. But I think it will. I think these technologies will transform the way every aspect of of work is done over the next decade. And I think campaigning and politics and advocacy will be will be the same. Uh, we might not know quite how now, but I think uh, I think they'll they'll be very impactful yeah i mean i think i agree with that to some extent i think what i suppose you know you're quite responsible users of this stuff right and you're sort of using it in that sense for kind of productivity gains and you know like i find i find these tools can be quite useful for like give me 10 ideas for this thing you know and write me a short summary of this and those sorts of things that are definitely 
you know you might spend an hour looking at a blank page and you get some ideas down out there that you think this is a start and all the rest of it so that you know that has some potential value to it but it doesn't seem to me that there's sort of you know there's great value in people doing you know actively trying to dis you know if you if you think well how do you want to destroy how do you want to destroy british democracy over the next 10 years right um my version of that with you know 50 million quid in my pocket or something is probably to uh, find a way to get it all to reform and nigel farage um you know like that is a much more straightforward thing than saying i'm going to run endless you know ai powered disinformation campaigns and all the rest of it let's just get it in the hands of you know the sort of least reputable actor who with some kind of visibility in british politics so if i'm a russia or whatever and i want to you know i've had enough of britain uh, you know that that you know funneling money through whatever mechanism i can is probably the best answer to that so um you know i think i think it's just worth always stepping back and saying well what's the what is the most likely realistic sorry i think the point about you know richard makes in the chat about the rotting of public spaces i think is a is a real issue right like if we flood the zone with crap um you, you know and we and but yet somehow we're still plugged into those zones and we still believe half of what we see or something that's going to be a massive issue i do think if those if those public spaces can't find a way to keep themselves mostly truthful and mostly realistic then a lot of us will just move away from them i think there are there are plausible scenarios that say we'll kind of revert back to you know much more you know trusted sources of truth and we'll go direct to our news websites and we'll go to places that we think actually produce uh, things that are real about the world rather than things that are fake about the world and and so you know i think i think there's a kind of just a volume question right like if you find you know eventually you find yourself in a place where you can't believe what you see anymore you'll you'll you know most rational people will leave will leave the space i think so um you know that's that that's sort of stuff is what i think is quite protective sorry no, so that, that's an interesting, I mean, that's that's key, isn't it? You know, if we can't believe what we see anymore. So, um, you know, and to your point around when we were raising the previous examples, when you're saying, you know, um, Keir Starmer's voice note, you know, screaming at an aid, et cetera, and obviously it was labeled as a deep fake, but what if people start to actually doubt that that's a deep fake and take that as real, even though it's been labeled as one. So yeah, there's layers upon layers of sort of conspiracy and truth, essentially. Um, Laurie's got a few questions here as well. Um, similarly, you know, so Sam, are you, are you saying that no one can use AI to disrupt using these fakes and, and which causes, you know, real actual action? Um, and following on from that, you know, when you mentioned about regulation, self-regulation, um, regulation doesn't appear, or self-regulation even, doesn't seem to be working well in other sectors. And as you know, quite a lot of legislation and regulation is kind of post event, you know, after the financial crisis, you get all these um, regulatory bodies put in place. So can we afford to do sort of posthumous regulation after such a crisis? Um, so yeah, why would we expect in the election political democratic space um, for self-regulation and regulation to work better here? Yeah, look, I mean, you know, political ad space that we've worked in for a long time still has no regulation new regulation in the uk to speak of there's a tiny little imprints law um which you know doesn't really fundamentally change very much um uh, and so on and and you know i think some of it some of the way that people are sort of maybe less worried about it now is because the platforms have actually taken some kind of policy measures against the ways that people used to run certain types of political ads and there's been new data protection legislation and all sorts of things have gradually come in and kind of changed that market uh, a bit um 
you know, I think you'll see defences being put up probably after the fact, but to like individual incidents as they happen, right? You know, you'll see a a big a big fake somewhere and people will freak out about it a bit and there will be fairly quickly a rule thereafter, right? If you look in the US recently, um, so people ran some Joe Biden uh, deep fake uh, phone calls, you know, people got these kind of robo calls from Joe Biden. Uh, about a week later, the Federal uh, Elections Commission or Trade Commission or someone basically clarified the rule that says this stuff is is actually illegal, right? You can't use impersonations of people's voices to to to, to reach voters and are kind of investigating what's going on. So you know, I don't think it's necessarily the case that like self-regulation is a sort of permanent situation. I do think probably in the end, the first thing that will happen just because it takes to, you know, politicians can't necessarily predict what the outcomes of these things are going to be and, and, and you know, whether they're good or bad and whether you're kind of throwing out the baby with the bathwater with your legislation, particularly when they all see AI as this kind of uh, economic gold mine somewhere you know everyone's very happy to be like well we you know, e you know it's going to transform the economy but of course um some terrible things will happen in the meantime right but they, they still hold on to this idea that it's going to transform the economy as their primary thing and they don't want to try and harm anything so you'll get these kind of big meetings where people sign lots of stuff and there will be accords and there will be bletchley park meetings and all the rest of it but you know it, as as individual bad things happen there will be bits of regulation probably that will follow it mm -hmm. Yeah, so let's all hope it happens in good time. So yeah, if we have any more questions, comments, please put them in the chat. Um, I have a question for you, Sam, which you know I think you've you've been posed it before, but wanted to raise it here again for the group that you know there's this data protection and digital information bill going through Parliament right now. It's actually in the House of Lords at the the committee stage. So no, no, no matter what people say about the House of Lords, I mean there is some checking function there that is working. Um, stumbled across this, right? And there is a amendment clause going through, and we mentioned data protection earlier. Um, and it actually talks about processing personal data, revealing political opinions specifically. Um, so having mentioned data protection, having mentioned, oh, maybe things won't be as bad as 2016 when we had the Trump um, election and when we had the Brexit referendum, and obviously we had the likes of Cambridge Analytica. So right now in the UK, there's this bill going through, amending and allowing for processing of personal data, revealing political opinions specifically for, and this is the paragraph being inserted for democratic engagement. Um, so, and the processing can be carried out by an elected representative or a person acting with authority of such a representative and is necessary for the purpose of discharging the elected representative's functions. Um, and the processing can be carried out, carried out by a registered political party Oh, a candidate for election. So not elect. So it's a, it can be carried out by an elected representative, a registered political party, or a candidate for election. So, and that in parallel with the spending limit increase of eighty percent. Yeah. Do you see that as a risk at all, and a perfect storm for another Cambridge Analytica? I mean, again, like perfect storm is, you know. So this this change is is it depends who you listen to, right? So some people say this just clarifies for politicians the fact that they should be allowed to campaign and sort of do democratic engagement. Other people say, okay, this opens up again, like the ability for people to buy and sell political data and do all sorts of things with it um, uh, and so on. I think there is, you know, quite a lot of new stuff about to happen in the UK election, right? The spending laws have changed. It's a, it's a big difference. Um, you know, there are some new technology out there that, that that will get used. And as you say, there's some data protection rule changes. It's just, it's just interesting. It's, I think it's just gonna have to be a watch and see. I don't, I, I'm, you know, obviously my view on it is that the government 
is trying to stack election rules at least as best they can in their favor for the for the, the forthcoming uh, election um again i reiterate the fact that they're 26 points behind in the polls and the chances of them clawing that back through campaign technique i think are pretty slim right there's a there's a lot more to it than than that so uh you know perfect storm maybe but the storm is going to be happening in the you know maybe the storm takes it from 26 to 23 points i mean that's the you know that's the that's the margin of impact of political campaigning like this i think um uh, you know and again both sides will have it the labor party will have plenty of money as well uh, you know i think it probably harms mostly the smaller parties who are going to struggle to raise money and don't have the kind of capacity to do that sort of data processing and all the rest of it so it kind of it kind of makes the playing field uneven but i don't think it makes it completely it doesn't completely sort of slant it in the tories favor at all um based on where we are so um yeah you know you know relevant authorities etc ico particularly will need to keep an eye out for for flagrant misuse of this and you know one of the things i kind of hope is that whoever the next government is well they 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 come to it recognizing that the system is not great and they actually put the spending limits back down a bit and they they think more carefully about how data gets used and abused and that they uh, do some things that are actually you know well-meaning uh, for democracy rather than just in their own favor um uh, and so you know i hope i hope others uh, on this call but hopefully we will too start putting some of those plans together so that people can um yeah see what a, be a bit of a better future looks like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. absolutely i think there's a, a couple more questions from from richard in the chat but yeah anyone any final questions as we begin to start wrapping up the conversation um but sort of linked to that you know we're talking about the two-party system so maybe this is more of a systems question but um, you know, talking about the risks of AI to elections, et cetera, and obviously the electoral system and the voting system that we operate in. Um, question here, are there actors outside the official campaigns that are going to be much less restricted than the official campaigns? So people that can operate, you know, outside registered party, you know, official campaign rules, but still have access to um, all this sort of AI technology, which, yeah, I mean, I could be a generative AI right now using what's that app called, Heyo or something. Um, yeah. I mean, look, so in 2019, the UK had political, basically had American style political action committees for the first time, right? So the, the Tories particularly, Tories, Tories supporting people spent 50 grand to 100 grand each running, you know, side campaigns, basically around the election. Um, you know, they were sort of called like campaign against Corbynism. There was one about right to rent buy houses there was a sort of pro landlord one they were they were sort of a bit weird but they they ran and they spent money and some of the things that we saw certainly in their in their ads was that they were reaching a lot of people you know at that last minute now nothing has changed in the rules to stop that happening right so if you still want to pop up an organization and spend money and now you have a higher spending limit as well uh you can do that however they don't start with a great deal of legitimacy right they start you know they tended to pop up really close to the election no one had heard of them before when journalists tried to phone them up and find out who they were, they didn't answer calls. They didn't exactly like look like very legit campaigning groups. And I'm pretty unpersuaded that they got good value out of their, 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 their money in that case. But, you know, they're an interesting development. They'll probably something like it will probably happen again. But again, if I was a if I had a lot of money right now and I wanted to disrupt the British political process, you know, in 2019, it made sense to try and support. Um, yeah, Richard, those sorts of people, right? try and support uh you know organizations that are going to make brexit happen and so on you have to look at the circumstance in 2024 and try and work out who that 
who that would be. And I think that's much, much harder to, to kind of work out this time around. Does anyone else have any final sort of questions? There was, a, I don't know whether this is really a quick question, but um, David, if you're there, just asking about AI's impact specifically on the STV elections in Northern Ireland. And if you have anything to say on that, Sam, or maybe that's a conversation to take offline. Um, yeah, I mean, again, like, okay, there's, so again, only comment I'd make is that uh, specific audiences, you know, you have to think through what the potential impact of these things are on specific audiences, right? And Northern Ireland has, you know, like my dad's from Belfast, I'm pretty well versed in like the things that happen and don't happen up there. And, um, you know, that's, yeah, you know, you could conceive of that sort of stuff happening. However, if you've ever looked at Northern Irish political campaigning, it's like a decade behind, you know, at least the kind of online campaigning, it's like a decade plus behind, like the parties there hardly do a thing. They hardly spend any money at all. It's, it's a weird, it's a weird circumstance. It's a small country, not that many, many people in it uh, and so on. So I don't, I, I think, I think just like running basic digital campaigns is beyond most Northern Irish political parties, let alone running sophisticated AI, uh, you know, driven, uh, you know, kind of community against community sort of stuff. Thanks so much. So there's a quick poll. I don't know if that has that popped up for people. Just a really quick poll. Like, do you believe that AI is less of a threat to the upcoming elections following this talk? Really interesting to gather everyone's opinion on that. Um, but otherwise, Sam, thank you so much for that very reassuring, insightful, thoughtful, and well-rounded just, you know, evaluation of AI's current threat slash um, not a threat to the upcoming elections. And at the end that, you know, uh, we can maybe catch up end of this year and see see how how right or wrong we were if it's not too late if the world is still somewhat coherent and we're able to have to have these calls in a, in a peaceful society but um sam thank you so much and thank you everyone for your attention and, and time this evening it's been so great and the conversation has been very very fruitful um i'll reshare all the links in a summary because i know sometimes it can be hard to follow but you know, please do join the community if you haven't already, the Democracy Network and Anti-Parties AI and Democracy groups. Um, join the WhatsApp, the Democracy Network check-in um, to just kind of share your project with others in the ecosystem. And then there's this link to this forum to specifically continue the conversation from, from this evening, from today, um, there following Sam's, Sam's brilliant talk. So thanks, Sam, thank you so much. Um, the polling so far, interesting. Well, well done, because you seem to have calmed most people's um, <laughs> with a slight lead on a yes, uh, people believing that AI is less of a threat to the upcoming elections. So let's hope that that faith is not misfounded or misplaced. And um, yeah, I hope everyone has. And we're right on time. Wow, this is okay. great, great start to the sessions for, for the series this year. But thank you so much, everyone. So good to see you all. And um, stay tuned. See you at the next one. See you at the next webinar. Thanks, everyone. Thanks very much, Sam. Thanks a lot. Good to see everybody. Thanks.